the Anything But Quiet Time podcast. We are Rochelle and Carter. Hello. Trying to see how fast I can get it out. Okay, go for it one more time. Rochelle and Carter. Anything But Quiet Time. <laughs> Do I have 500? 500? I'm going once. Going twice. 500? I could have been an auctioneer. Yeah, you could No, I couldn't have. Uh, well, I honestly, I was impressed. Uh, this is the podcast where we talk about what we're going through spiritually. It's an out loud version of A Quiet Time. So kind of walk through things together, have discussions. Always love feedback. I mean, yes, great ratings and stuff. We love a five-star review. Uh, but also questions and concerns and maybe what you're going through spiritually. It's so amazing when you're able to have a turn to speak. And get that question out there uh, if you're a part of a Bible study, small mm-hmm. group type situation. Or how about this? You were in class. Remember those days? You're in the classroom and you actually had studied. Yeah. <laughs> so you could be a part of the conversation. You actually have things to share or That's say. That's a, a very good point. I think as a, a person who has said, yes, I'm a follower of Christ or even somebody who may be on the fence about it. I am positive that you have things to share or have questions. Yeah. Yeah. So you are valid. You're here. Yes. You, you clicked on this. So we absolutely love uh, wherever you're at, uh, you feel like in your journey um, and whatever you feel in your journey. But the what I've been going over lately is realizing that feelings can certainly be misplaced. I know a few episodes ago, I, I've talked about the uh, uh, people that I've been chatting with that are, are of a different faith mm-hmm. and they go, well, you got to go off of, of feeling. What is God telling you that you feel? Well, no, what's what's fact? What what is truth? Are they basing that off of like a a nudge from the Holy Spirit? Is that what they're yeah, suggesting? So that's the thing. And that's and that's always good. But the problem is it needs to align with Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, because, you know, Jeremiah, it says the heart is wicked. <laughs> and so right. uh, so be, it could be me. It could be a burrito I had last night. Right. It could be something just in my life that I'm emotional about right now, or it could be the Holy Spirit. And I just want to put this out there. You can make sure things align with the wrong scripture. Let me let mm-hmm. me okay. suggest this, because if you have the wrong context. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. To be like, well, uh, that king went out and killed everybody. Right. No? Okay, right. wait, wait. Don't. Yeah. So, yeah, it aligned with scripture. No. See, there's there's such a thing as a narrative of a historical account. Very true. That is a good thing to look at. As opposed to what Jesus is teaching us uh, that we should make a part of our lives, as opposed to let's take a picture of the law and make sure that we are applying it and relating it to where we are today. And Mm -hmm. yes, absolutely upholding it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, that's can... that's a really, really good point, because what applied to that person or what did just are we hearing about that person and compared to what applies to all people and God is expecting from us or applies mm-hmm. to us. So that's a very good way of saying it. I saw this illustration. It got us into a very interesting conversation that we want to uh, re- relay along to you and see how you feel about it. <laughs> feel um, it was actually <laughs> church on Sunday. He put up uh, the pastor put up a great graphic of a train. Mm-hmm. And so if you have the the engine that is fact, and that is what faith is in. So the truth okay. of the Bible, the truth of Scripture, right? And then the caboose are the feelings. They're they're along for the ride, and you can feel good about it. But it, but that it shouldn't be driving our faith mm. because feelings are so fleeting; they're so up and down. Now, do you think it's faith that should drive, or do you think it's fact? Well, it's I, what what do we place our faith in? Okay, all right. Okay, so, I'm what's the you. driving force of what our faith is in? And I think you you look at I I think of it in a couple of different ways with facts. I, I think of it like um like a trial, right? There's a trial tri- in a courtroom where if I'm a jury and let's say you know this person is on trial for committing a crime, 
okay, well, we got him leaving the scene of the crime. His mm-hmm. fingerprints were at the crime. Uh, there's an eyewitness account that saw him. So I didn't see him committing the crime, but when you put all the facts together, well, I have, I have faith that he did this. I see. That he okay. did this. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's just like the historical evidence we have for the Bible. Yeah, mm-hmm. we didn't see it. And even Jesus says, blessed are those that haven't seen it. But it's not a blind faith. And still believe. Yeah. And still believe. But it's not a blind faith. Right. It's not like some somebody coming in right now, like we've seen cult leaders do, and saying, hey, guess what? I'm Jesus. Come follow me for the for the last part of the the the, the, end, the world's ending, and you better follow me. Uh, prove it. Uh <laughs> Yeah. No, I get a yeah. feeling that you're not him uh, or like a much like a puzzle piece uh, or a puzzle. Even I, all the pieces are out there. You see it. You know, it fits together. Mm-hmm. It's just not quite fit together. I didn't see all the things of the Bible happen, but we certainly have so much evidence there right. that that's what should be driving it. Not I woke up today and I just don't feel good. God must not be real. Mm. I mean, I know that's a very simplistic view. There's maybe an eight-year-old's testimony there, but that's that's where it can go. Yeah, I we Carter and I had this incredible conversation regarding facts versus truth. Mm-hmm. I think facts can lead to truth. Okay, and I know that you're like, what's the difference? In fact, I think you even said tomato, tomato. For me, I think again, what baggage do you give a word? Sure, and yeah. I don't mean baggage in a bad way. It's like, okay, so what? definition do you ascribe to a certain word mm-hmm. i think there are, I, might be a definition out there that certainly puts the two as synonymous what is truth is fact yeah but i think facts are very um incontrovertible i mean that's what it's solid it's rigid mm-hmm. it's information right um but if i see it on paper as opposed to truth which i think is a more spiritual experience it does maybe involve feeling as well at, with the inclusion of fact Okay. It's like I experience it relates to an experience, I think. So I I had these facts align and then I recognized truth. Okay. So I think that's what happened even with the disciples over time. They had facts right in front of them, even. They did have eyewitness accounts, right? They saw the miracles that took place with Jesus. But it wasn't until later in their journey, at least through the scripture, where they processed to the point of truth where they go, you are the Messiah. Yeah, they definitely didn't get it. Not at first. I mean, certainly, gosh, maybe not even until Jesus was gone, honestly. Yeah. I mean, ascended. They even, it just doesn't, it always feels like the disciples are dumb until all of a sudden they're the <laughs> saints and then they're just these intelligent people. So, yeah. The Holy uh, Spirit they had then. So, that's maybe why. I think it's interesting where, uh, yeah, anyway, but no, that's really good. If you put the faith at the forefront of the situation, your feelings will follow. Just step out in faith. Yeah. Yeah. We've even shared that in the biblical accounts of where we've seen Jesus request of people something and then they have the ability, right? Mm-hmm. Go mm-hmm. wash you know, the, the mud out your eyes and in that area yeah. over there by the temple, get the water out, you know, anyway. But, but one thing I've heard and just in feelings, yeah, I, I think that's interesting with facts and truth. I will say with that is that let's take the jury thing, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, if I have all the facts right. that I just listed, that guy was leaving, his fingerprints were there. Uh, well, here's some other facts that you might not know. There was a stranger living in their attic. And and that they didn't know about. And also that the, the, his fingerprints are there because he lives there. Like there could be other facts, too, that may lead you to a different truth. Mm-hmm. But I think with with the Bible, there's just so much pointing to only one thing. Yeah. And it's that Jesus is the son of God. Now, they a lot of people will say, no, 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 no. You have so much in opposition. Like what? Oh, man. Where do you begin? 
Where you do know? you begin? Because it's not going to be a good argument. <laughs> no, it's not. Especially if you you uncover context. And that I think uh-huh. we really do try to go over a little bit at least here with the Anything But Quiet Time podcast. We encourage you to check it, check it out too because it's only going to strengthen your faith. You know what I feel like we are? You have the scholars, yes. like the real smart people, and then you have the pastors. Yeah. And, then, and, then, so and then you have... And then you have like, like us... We're way below we're that way point. way below. So listen, if you're <laughs> if you're like any one of those other people, if you're most people, yeah. you're probably like, well, then why am I listening to you guys? No, <laughs> no, because I no, I think we take our collective truth and we have a discussion. It's like a small group. Experience. It's just a discussion. That's it's true. But, so clearly we're going to say this again. We're not experts. No, but, but you were asking me, yeah. like, give an example. Like, how many times have you read in the Old Testament something that didn't feel like it was, wait. That doesn't lie. In fact, I just I read this thing the other day about mm. Elisha and Elijah going up to Bethel, and that's geographically impossible from where they were. Okay, but it makes sense within the context of understanding the story of what was happening. Yeah, they were talking about as opposed to this is assumed by scholars. Instead of a geographical situation, they were talking about actually a morality positioning. Oh, I see. Oh, as okay. opposed to going. Um, so did I say going up to Bethel, excuse me, going down to Bethel, they were suggesting that that was going to take them down because uh, they were visiting a place Yes, yes. that was known as a hub for idolatry actually at the time. So yeah, then, then you see, then you see the context and yeah, a lot and of people all of will a sudden just, it's, whoa. they'll just try and, and point something well, out. That doesn't make sense because geographically it's impossible. But if you understand and and that takes a lot of work. Thankfully, there have been many people who have studied Hebrew, mm-hmm. who have studied the Greek. They know what these contexts mean. And so it's like it's not necessarily canceling out something. It's like, oh, we'll see. That's a contradiction. Well, wait. Well, wait. Yeah. Do, let's go back. Do let's you know look at it. What it actually meant mm-hmm. um, on the feelings thing. Just to wrap this little part up. Uh, just the feelings alone. Do, do we trust feelings or do we trust truth or facts or, you know, whatever we want to say there. Um, don't you find it fascinating that when the devil was tempting Jesus, Jesus replied with scripture. Oh yeah. He didn't reply with what he's like, well, no, cause I'm strong. Like he was, he just says the Lord said, like he just I'm said, I'm so glad Jesus didn't talk like that. I know. Uh, right? I think <laughs> how we can sound when we talk about our feelings i mean in in that way yeah and so the fact that i i just never even thought about it it came up because i was talking about the, these people about a different faith and it's like jesus referenced scripture like how do we know you know it's not a it's not a, a feeling it's i don't have to pray about truth it's like this is truth this is fact and jesus would reference the old testament often he didn't often. have comfort well and he did have a conversation with the enemy which tells you really where he like was he kind of just like like shut it up, shut it down kind of thing. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there was a lot of feelings there. Jesus was there from the beginning. Yeah, it yeah. says that in John chapter one, in yep. the beginning was the Word, and Jesus is the Word, right? So he saw when Lucifer fell. He saw he he so, created him. He knew how to to talk or not talk, and in this moment, he was like, "Look, isn't yeah." And as a man, because he was a flesh, he knew that the temptation would be there. Would be there. That's true. Against his flesh. And so what does he do? He teaches us by his example that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. Yeah. It's his word. It's not mine. I never thought about that in the fact of, you know, you have this enemy, this enemy, but Jesus, everything was made uh, for him and through him. Mm Mm-hmm. And it says in Colossians, dominion, ruler, spiritual authority. So he created Satan 
he's talking to, he created angels, he, you know? Yeah, he created. And so, but he created angel. him, you know? And, and yeah. now you have this created being. Yeah. Even though Satan is like this thing to us that he's, he's been way around way longer than us. So it's yeah. this entity that we can't even describe. I all think the time. it's a really good way of putting it, by the way, because the further you study into the actual word of Satan, it's, it's, that's a name that's attributed to evil. Uh-huh. That's uh-huh. A, a name that's attributed to the enemy, which is like, I think entity is the right yeah. way of putting it. But it's yes. a created being that he was talking to. Isn't that, cr- I mean, it's just crazy. So when you talk about looking at, uh, the, or the fact that there was a temptation there, mm-hmm. we also obviously get temptations. And I, I think one thing that we don't talk about enough in, 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 uh, in a lot of Christian culture, I think some small groups out there will really delve into what are you struggling with? Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about temptation and sinful thoughts. And I heard some great advice recently. Mike Winger, we've had him on before. He's with the Bible Thinker podcast. He talked about, uh, somebody asked this question to him and said, uh, I have a, they didn't really describe it. So we'll, we'll kind of cover the, the anxiety, depression part of that in just a second. But at least how I took it to mean when the question was, I struggle with bad thoughts, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And, and I never thought about Philippians 4.8 being mm-hmm. a verse in this context. And you probably know it. I, I had to, I don't always know the reference, but uh, this is the, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think, think about these, these things, things right? Yeah. So if you have temptation thoughts, whether it's pride or lust mm-hmm. or, or whatever, anger, whatever it is that you deal with constantly and well, we can tend to overanalyze ourselves. Mm. Why am I this way? Why can I just stop? Why can't I instead, why not just focus on something else? It seems too easy, I think. It's, well, I can't just think of a good thought and be okay. I need to get to the root of this. Well, if there's an ongoing problem with something, yeah. you might need to. But I'll take lust, for example, with guys. It's just it's just going to be there. I, I'm helping with, the, you know, high school boys, you know, my, my whole life, right, of helping with youth group. It is a constant struggle in each and every one of them. And I've had got, you know, youth pastors that were in their fifties. It doesn't get easier. It's because the world has fallen. It's because I messed up. It's because Satan tempts it. I mean, name the reason, whatever you want to, mm-hmm. but it's going to be there. So what do I do? Not try to overanalyze, but focus on the love of my wife or hanging out with my family yeah. or a good meal, whatever God has allowed. And that is true that it fits Philippians four, eight. Just focus on that. Now, I'll say with the root of the problem, I would say this to a high school boy. Well, let's talk about your lifestyle. Well, I look at pornography every day. That's a root of the problem that we might want to get to. that might be something to address. We might want to address that. But I'm just talking about tempting thoughts that we try to go, why, why? Well, just think about something different. (laughs) Focus in on something different. Yes, yes. Maybe Maybe that's a different word that might, well, it's easy enough to say. No, no. Just change, switching your focus, you're going to, I think that if you are struggling with like an addictive pattern, that the word struggle is appropriately used there. Mm -hmm. That will be a struggle. It's not as easy as maybe just, you know, flipping a coin, but I I love the uh, openness of Clay Cross, an artist that I was very familiar with. I went to his concert. I owned his albums and he shared about his struggle with lust. Mm-hmm. And if you, I mean, I saw it on YouTube the other day, he and his beautiful wife, they shared openly, I think it was back in 2009, about the struggle. He's now a worship pastor, but he shared that as early as fourth grade was when he was exposed mm. to that kind of world. Yeah, And the struggle was real from that point on in his life. But it was a, a vocal instructor that asked him a very simple set of questions. 
what are you reading about in the Bible? Mm-hmm. Well, how are you leading? Are, are you leading your children to Christ every day? That how is your prayer life? These are the like, basic questions he says. Yeah. Clay was like, I realized in that moment I was busted. Mm. Here I am, this Christian artist. I should have things together, but I had let things go by the wayside. And so I think if you're struggling, you're like, well, how do I get a better focus on my thought life? Thinking on these things for a start. I think that vocal instructors questions that that's a great place to start. Where are you in your Bible reading? Yeah. So yeah. good things. It's called the good book right. for a reason, right? So find some good stuff to be thinking on. And even in the Old Testament, it's interesting because God knew his people would fall away from his law. That's why he's instructing them. Write it out. Put it on put it on paper. Mm-hmm. Put it on your, your hand, your wrist. Keep it with you. And so they, I've shared this before. They have these things called phylacteries where they would take the little scrolled pieces of paper that they would write out his law on mm-hmm. and they would try mm-hmm. to bind it close to them. They'd put it on their wrists. They put it on their heads, you know, just whatever they could do to do that. And I think it's a great start. How is your prayer life? How are you reading his word? And uh, clearly and asking the Lord for help. And if you find that it is something that's a little bit stronger than you thought it might be, maybe going to a professional for help and saying, I need help. There yeah. is no shame in that. I think it's 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 a way of God shining through that weak point to say, look, I've always been strong. Lean in on me. Admit that you are weak here. Yeah. Then I can be made strong. That's exactly right. He's already strong, but you get the point. So, so with, with that, yeah. uh, on this kind of replace the thought thought mm-hmm. of Philippians 4.8, so if it's not temptation, perhaps it's depression or anxiety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's there's two two thoughts here. One is that I, I think that can certainly still apply, but then I think you kind of covered it with, well, there's no shame, and certainly for any of us, whether yeah. it's clinical or not, of seeing somebody, a Christian counselor, uh, and then whatever is is diagnosed. I mean, there's there's certainly no shame in medicine either. Um, and so the, I, I think that— Which the, has taken us a while to get to. I think yeah, it's a church. I think you're right. I think you're right. Because, well, you should be— saved from this affliction. I think we, we assume it only can look one way. Healing can only look one way. And that is a wrong assumption, I think. So, you know, and that's the thing. And I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to cause an argument or anything, not between <laughs> us, but just with somebody who, who is kind of pray it away kind of thing. Well, so, uh, my friend with diabetes should just rip the insulin thing out of his arm. I mean, is you know what I mean? Like there's there are things that God has given us with wisdom and and technology. Yeah. Did I did I make it sound like I was against? No, you didn't. No, oh, you, you did it. <laughs> Just that that thought that yeah. it is it's kind of it's kind of taken a place to get here because there are feelings that you should just pray more. Shonda Pierce, a Christian comedian, once shared that a lady came up to her after one of her comedy sketches uh-huh. and Shonda had openly shared. She's always been open, uh, but about her needing to take medicine for I think it was depression. Mm -hmm. And the lady was like, you know what? I don't appreciate you preaching that from the stage. And, you know, that was her opinion. Mm -hmm. Probably she had either been told that by her pastor or perhaps she had read into the scripture about, you know, you need to just call upon the name of Jesus and he's going to heal you, which I completely understand if that's where you're at. Um, No, no disrespect here. But Shonda put it in such a way. She said, "Okay." the lady was wearing glasses and she Mm -hmm. said, if that's the case, and you truly believe what you're saying, then take your glasses off on your drive home tonight mm. if there is no need for medical assistance. Right. Because that was what she was implying yeah. to Shonda. Yeah. And I, I thought that was a very, that was a really good observation. And I think it, it's not meant to s- stun or 
be ugly with other people. It's giving you a fresh perspective on maybe a scripture that you have been spoken to about, your pastor has shared with you about, but perhaps they've not thought in regards to. Well, we're promised suffering in this life. Yeah, we are. And it just is what it is. And so we have the, obviously, I mean, we're blessed just in the time period we live in compared to the Civil War. You know what I mean? Oh I mean, of the, I'm talking about the battlefield specifically. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot with the Civil War time, but, you know, the that more people died, I think, because of infection. Mm. You know, and so now yeah. it's it's different in terms of science and knowing things. Um, but regardless, there's still suffer- suffering today. There's different suffering. There's there's mm. more more cancer, unfortunately, than there was you know back then. And so there's this there's always going to be suffering allowed. And and what we find medically, I think, and go on a diatribe about it. But just the fact that thanking God for the good things, mm-hmm. and then yes, praying to be healed still in yeah. the midst of it is is totally Absolutely. fine. Absolutely, but healing can come to you in the in the form of care. Mm. Have you ever experienced somebody sitting with you in 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 a moment of great pain and they didn't say, it wasn't anything they said they just stayed with you. Yeah. That's such tremendous care and there's a place of healing even there. So I I'm just saying God heals in so many different ways and I mean if you if you ever wonder about can God do it in multiplicity of ways look at the way he comes to Elijah in a whisper. He's already showed up with fire coming down and hmm. taking out the sacrifice in front of all the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, mm-hmm. you know. And when he asks God later on on Mount Sinai, show yourself to me, you know, because God did that with Mo- Moses. God's come in through an earthquake, through a windstorm, through a whatever. And then he shows up in a whisper because he's like, you know what? Sometimes it's just a still, small voice, you know. You're talking about. He's not limited. <laughs> Being with people and and the whisper comes to mind there too, just simply maybe not even saying anything. Mm. This stat blew my mind. Uh, it is a heavy topic here that in the last year and a half or so, we were so nervous at the beginning of the pandemic for people that are going through depression because now isolation thrown in on top of that. Mm. Well, they've just done the, the stats on the last year and somehow people taking their own life that it dropped by 6%. What? It's the first time it's fell. The I stats fell. I thought it was the opposite. In four decades, this is the first time it's fell. Which, wow. Which means, I, you know, sometimes double negatives are confusing. What that means is more people are with us today somehow, in even in the midst of a pandemic, because wow. in the last year, more people decided to not take their own life. And we were talking about mm-hmm. checking in with people. I think we all were at the beginning of it. Sure. As much as you can. And potentially that's just what happened. Maybe we it got a chance to slow down, and there was the concern, though, with slowing down that you're alone with your thoughts, but we truly slowed down mm. and did life together, whether it's virtually or outside or whatever, and we weren't worried about work, and we weren't worried about appearance, and we weren't... And we truly mm. did life together. I mean, I mean, I assume they, they... Obviously, researchers didn't really know why, but as a believer in Jesus, you'd have to think, hopefully, more Jesus followers... We're on the front lines of caring for people. Mm. And so that this whole thing about feelings, feelings and facts, replace mm-hmm. the feelings of temptations and then aid people. Yeah. And that's yourself, too, if you need to you know, see somebody or reach out to somebody. But aid people with the fact that we do need to take these feelings seriously sure. because that's where we can be that that shoulder to lean on. Tap into your passion with that, too, because I think a, a lot of the times you hear, yeah, that's really good. I like that. But there's so many people who are in need. Okay, right, well, where right. has God just made himself so abundantly 
clear in your world? Like, what have you dealt with? You've been through the valley on and you come out on the other side of it. Yeah. That valley, maybe God is leading you towards and directing you towards people in that same position, whether it was a medical state, whether it was a financial positioning, that you've made it through a valley place and you're like, I know because I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And maybe God will direct you otherwise. But if you're like, if it feels like it's so broad, well, maybe there's a start. And clearly you're just praying, putting that in your prayer time. Lord, I want to be available. Is it here? Where mm. you've brought me out of before? Yeah, what what is a ministry? And That's maybe it's just really a thing good. you're passionate about or something you've gone through. It's super good, Carter. Woo! How do you feel about all that? I felt really good, but the fact is What no, what's the truth? The truth yeah. is <laughs> I can't handle the truth. So. Oh yeah. Uh we couldn't handle the Ruth last podcast. The Ruth, that's right. Such hope in that. Uh I I want to talk about Solomon. Okay. The wisest guy, the wise guy. Yes. So I, I'm already in Second Kings, but because of Easter, we had so much fun with the Easter podcast. I'm trying to catch up with, I, I don't want to miss out on some of the really amazing characters in scripture. Solomon, the wisest man in the Bible. But clearly, if you followed any bit of his life, you also realize he didn't end up in the best way. Mm-hmm. So David, truly remarkable character. Even on his deathbed, he's like, Solomon, my son, follow the ways of the Lord. He's already promised he's going to he he's going to keep one of us on the on the throne here. That's great. As long as we obey him. Yeah. And then he instructs him to do like a bunch of killings for political reasons, which is like, oh, okay. Well, so we still see the human struggle there in the person of David. And we know that he's clearly not the Messiah. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Uh, super grateful for that because he's, he was a human being, but there's a lot to be admired there by David. Um, and he was that king who all of his days never bowed one knee to any other God but Yahweh. Mm. He was with God the whole way. That's the theme then, isn't it? A man after God's own heart. And yeah. then you just said it. You know, he was clearly imperfect. The whole but what was the way. What was the, the, the correlating thing that he worshiped God the whole time? So he has this kid named Solomon. It's an amazing story about Solomon and how he comes along. It is through the marriage of David and Bathsheba, which you may remember is a troubled situation at first, certainly. And I don't think it got less troubled along mm-hmm. the way. I mean, how could it? Their first son died because of the the horrific way that he came about having Bathsheba as his wife. He killed her husband yeah. to make that happen. Can I can I just for a light moment real quick, okay. I just want to just reiterate in my head, it's one of those things I know, but I just want to make sure that we never acknowledge this. David saw her taking a bath and her name is Bathsheba. Just want to make sure about that. Yeah. Could you imagine when they first actually got introduced? Wait, her what name is, is Bathsheba? What is your name? It's interesting because <laughs> I know you don't shower. I, I know that. Look, I didn't research it. I wonder if there is a connection because of the circumstances. That would be interesting. That would be interesting. Because it feels yeah. a little too convenient. <laughs> but I, I don't know. But that's his mom, uh, Solomon's mom. And uh, that is, uh, yeah, Solomon is the guy that's going to sit on the throne. Of course, David's got a jillion sons because he had a, a lot of wives. And that's never smart. <laughs> uh, well, and I'm going to I'm going to talk about Deuteronomy 17. This is we're going to call this uh, what I have heard termed a hyperlink for kings in Deuteronomy 17. It spells out for kings. Look, we don't have a king yet over Israel. Again, this is back when Moses is writing out the laws and stuff. This is still a part of Moses's book, mm-hmm. the Torah, the Pentateuch. 
And he's saying, one day we're going to get there, though. We're going to have a king. And when we do, here's a list of things that you should do and not do. Let me just read it verbatim in this one place. It talks about the king should not have horses, especially those from Egypt, because the Lord says, don't ever go back there. And get this. The king must not have a lot of wives. Wow. They might tempt him to be unfaithful to the Lord. And finally, the king must not try to get huge amounts of silver and gold. We already see where David failed Yeah, in there. Let's talk about Solomon. Solomon is this guy who at the very beginning, God's like, look, you've pleased me. I mean, because your dad pleased me, you're in a, in a good position. And I want, I want to do something for you. So what do you want? It's yours. And he asks for wisdom because he basically calls himself a little kid. Mm. In, in Hebrew, he calls himself this young man, this child who doesn't really know. Look, you're putting me in charge of a big situation here. And I really, I need wisdom. I don't know what to do. And God is so pleased with his answer that not only am I going to give you this, that you've asked, you're going to be the smartest guy ever, ever. Yeah. But you are going to be given wealth and all the other things that you didn't ask for. So he he ends up building the temple. He ends up building a very lovely palace. He ends up, uh, yes, having people visit him from all over the lands, wanting to be, can I just sit at your feet and glean from you? He knew about animals. He knew about, you name it, Solomon knew. He was the guy. And I think that's amazing. You're reading it. You're like, oh, this is awesome. And then you get to the place in First Kings where it's like, and then let's talk about his his failings. Oh, and if you really unpack scripture, he built a lot of this palace and temple and all of the stuff that he is known for on the backs of slaves. Mm. And it's the same wording that is used for when Pharaoh built his kingdom on the backs of Hebrew slaves. The only other place in scripture, apparently, it's, it's mirrored is with Solomon. That's fascinating because I know a lot of people will bring up slavery in the Bible. And, and it's gotta, his own people. Yeah. Because yeah. they'll say God approved it or whatever, well, but it's it's more the indentured servant thing. But mm-hmm. these are two areas where it was true bondage is, yeah. is what that was. I mean, obviously with Pharaoh, well, it definitely was. He would give them like, like in some passages, I think it's said. Yeah. It says Solomon ordered 30,000 people from all over Israel to do this. Okay. So it wasn't like a leniency. Um, I think I read, yeah, he said each group worked one month in Lebanon and they had two months off at home, which sounds like a good deal if you signed up for it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if it's like, no, you're going to do this. Yeah. Now, yes, there were definitely places in scripture where they had slaves in Israel that were of different nationalities. Mm-hmm. And God is very clear with how to deal with foreigners. He's very clear with how to deal with all this. There was like every, there were like six years you could you could have these people in your home as a slave or whatever, but then you have the option on the seventh year, you were to allow people to go free. I don't want to go into all the detail and say- Oh, there's a lot there. There's yeah. a lot. Um, and, and stuff I'm not even saying right, but it's just it, God's positioning on slavery. He's not for putting people in bondage. Mm-hmm. People putting themselves above other things, that started in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve put themselves above what God's word was to them. Mm. That's that. So it's not a good thing. But Solomon, he builds these beautiful things for the Lord, but he does it on the backs of slaves, his own people. And then what does he do? He marries a ton of foreign ladies. There's this whole passage where it's like, and he loved the ladies. 
He loved foreign women. He had like a thousand of them. So he had like 700 wives, I think. And it was 300 concubines or something like that. I don't, it was ridiculous amount. You're like, are you serious? And of course, all of these people are, if they're foreigners, then they are not serving Yahweh per se. So they're going to lead him astray. And they in fact did. Then it goes on to say, remember what I read in Deuteronomy? It yeah. says uh, the instructions. The, don't, do you remember that? It says specifically to the king from Moses. It says, don't get a bunch of horses, <laughs> which you're like, what does that even mean? Specifically, the king should not have many horses, especially those from Egypt. It talks about the chillions. All right. I'm, I'm really over exaggerating that word, but he had so many horses. Guess where they were from? Specifically, Egypt says, don't hoard treasure. Interesting. He was the first king, potentially maybe the only king, who had his own navy. And it wasn't because of war or military purposes. It was because he sent him to get more gold. And in fact, they had so much gold. They were all about gold that silver didn't even, it was worthless to him. So he had all these gold and he made a bunch of shields and stuff that weren't even, I mean, what is the purpose of having these huge shields? All gold. A lot of vanity was used. His throne was ridiculous. I mean, his ivory was covered in gold. Mm-hmm. It was just, so it was all this stuff. What is it again? Deuteronomy 17. The silver and gold, the wives and the silver and gold. The Lord um, has said all of this. Look, the king must not have a lot of wives. They might tempt him to be unfaithful to the Lord. Finally, the king must not try to get huge amounts of silver and gold. He's got all of these different places that are storehousing gold. Well, because this is what kings do on earth. Other kings do. This and is he's just not. A, yeah. And he's going out and he's getting more and more. And the end of Solomon's life, he is then, oh, it's just so sad. So he starts out really, really good. And God is giving him this, hey, Look, I want you to take, see, in the Garden of Eden, there was this tree, the knowledge of good and evil. God wanted to be the one that brought wisdom to man Mm. because he knew the doses they could take it in. Yeah. This is not your responsibility. And when he said, I I want you, the knowledge of good and evil actually also meant the experience of good and evil, too. So now here is Solomon asking, not taking it for himself. I want you to give me wisdom. And here it is like a tree for the rest of his life just sitting there. But did he continue to make the choice of choosing God to give him the wisdom? I think the answer is no. It's a daily choice you and I have to ask the Lord to guide you in his wisdom. Absolutely. Every single day, Lord, teach me from your word. I want you to expose to me what this means Teach me. I want to read this today. What did you mean when you said this? Study it. Get to know it, you know. Mm. And Solomon did not write out the word. He he stopped it. And this is what it said is you need to keep writing the word out. Make sure that this law is something that you are, are taking in all the time. Mm. And Solomon got away from that. And so at the end of his life, he's worshiping these pagan gods, gods that have been, I mean, just horrific sacrifice, human sacrifice. Like he's allowing these other women in his world to bring in their belief system instead of saying, nope, that's not going to be permissible here. Mm. But he also, I mean, it started with uh, the idea of, hey, maybe I should marry 700 wives. That's a great idea. What does it say in Deuteronomy 17? If he had been reading it, Carter. Right. He would not have gone there. You see even in ministry, and and don't get me wrong, I mean, there's tons of great people that live, uh, that uh, have long careers in ministry and and just seek after God. But I I think we've all seen somebody, if you've been in church long enough, that they started great, 
Mm. And then just the cares of this life, not even necessarily going overboard and embezzling or anything like that, but just um, what comes to mind for me with one church I was at, the, just the discontent and the disagreement in meetings, the contention in meetings, because my department has to get this and this it, whose budget is it coming out of? And but and we get caught up in that yeah. instead of being focused on maybe writing out what why did you get into ministry in the first place? Yeah. What what is God having you do? And again, even even when we're passionate, you know, we can get caught up in things. But sometimes the longer that we go in something mm -hmm. and we're not true to why we got started on it, it can be, a, well, obviously with Solomon, a bad place to go. I mean, Jesus, he wants to, he gives us all of these different scenarios that could potentially be a thing in his parable of the sower. The farmer goes out to sow some seed and there's some that falls on the path and the birds mm -hmm. come and mm -hmm. they get it. And he said, that's like the enemy coming and snatching it out of the hearts of people just the moment that they hear it or know that this is where God wants me to be. So apply this to the truth that God is trying to share with you. It's either that easily taken away or you're like the person who hears it. It starts to grow and you're all on board and the, but you didn't stick with it. Mm. So it, it, it dies out. It's not rooted in something deeper. The cares of this world is the interesting choice of phrase because that's what Jesus says chokes the word out of us. Mm. And of course, then there's the good soil that that goes deep rooted. And that's something I mean. I don't know much about trees, but I know that they have a root system that has to tap into the, the richness of the soil and the water. And, and all of that is it that is being in God's word. Yeah. That's and, great. And, and being with people who who are like minded, I think doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt either. And th <laughs> so thank you for being with us. We're uh, like we said, not experts, but like minded and great discussion. Yeah. I, I did. You know, though, that Solomon recently was on an airplane. Uh, yeah. He was on an airplane. No he, was, way. He, he was president of the United States. He was Solomon. It was Solomon's intern, okay. and it was the pilot. So wait, and, wait. So who's mm -hmm. on the plane? Solomon. Yeah, he was is the there? president of the United States and the president. It was Solomon. Okay. It was Solomon's intern. He had an intern with wow. him. Wow. And then of course it was the pilot. No. And the engine fails, and the pilot comes out and says, "Guys, <clears throat> I'm so sorry. Um, there's there's only three parachutes. We're yeah. going down, and yeah. there's only three parachutes. And the president of the United States said, I'm the president of the United States. I need a parachute. And they're all agreed. So the he grabs a parachute, and he, he jumps out. It seems to make sense. And then Solomon says, I'm the wisest man that ever lives. Mm. I need I need a parachute. And they're like, well, that makes sense. And, uh, you know, what? so he goes, he jumps out. Mm. And then uh, the intern uh, and the pilot are sitting there, and the pilot says, young man, I'll go down with the plane. Uh, I've lived a long life and uh, you have the life ahead of you. And why don't you take that last parachute? Quite noble. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And the intern said, actually, pilot, don't worry about it. Uh, Solomon grabbed my backpack. Uh, there's two parachutes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know how that makes him the wisest. That's exactly right. You see, we saw how he was not wise sometimes. I was waiting for like the parachute to be cut in half. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs>